Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Jelani Smith. Jelani is the founder of Bay Street Blog, a financial hub that aims to help millennials expand their knowledge on personal finance, real estate, and self-directed investing-related topics. Jelani bought his first home at the age of only 21 in his third year at University of Toronto, which he occupied shortly after graduation. He has been featured in the Globe and Mail and Toronto Life in regards to his personal financial habits and advice. Currently, he's working full-time at a financial institution and manages Bay Street Blog on the side with the goal of improving the financial literacy rates among millennials. In my interview with Jelani, we discuss how to save a larger down payment, urban versus suburban living, and how to ensure the mortgage process goes smoothly. Without further ado, here's my interview with Jelani Smith. Hi, Jelani. How are you doing today? Hey, Sean. I'm doing great. How about you? Pretty good, thanks. Excited to have you on the podcast. So let's get started. You seem to have your mindset on buying a home when you were in university and Mm -hmm. purchased one right away after graduating. Tell us about your journey from student to homeowner. Yep, definitely. So when I first started university, my parents were actually the ones who encouraged me to start looking to real estate investments and kind of keeping a forward thinking perspective on kind of like finding property to invest in or maybe renting it out or to live in. So ever since then, I've always been keeping, keeping an eye out for new developments or resale homes on tour of various open houses. Um, back in July 2013, I actually did buy a condo in Scarborough at Kennedy and 401. It was a one-bedroom condo, and the price was $232,000. It was on the 27th floor. However, I decided to cancel the deal um, in order because I decided that it would be better if I just um, save up money for a freehold townhouse or a freehold property, because at the time those those type of properties in the real estate market had had a, had a better appreciation than condos as well, so that's why I just um, that's why I decided to cancel that and save up money for a freehold townhouse, which I bought in my third year of university with the plan of occupying it when I finished school and working full time. Great, thanks for sharing that. And I'm just curious, did you have any issues with kind of getting out of the first deal because I understand with uh, like did you take advantage of the 10-day cooling off period or did you kind of sell the rights of your condo like assign it to somebody else how did you kind of get out of the deal if somebody else finds themselves in that situation yep definitely so I had the 10-day cooling period so that's why I decided to sign the papers um, before I get sold to someone else so I took advantage of the 10-day cooling period within those 10 days I kind of like just asked various people for advice um, calculated the numbers and I just decided it would be best to kind of go for a freehold property. However, one thing I do regret is um, I, maybe I, I probably would have made more money if I sold the assignment to someone else 
speaks to my understanding right now that same con is going for over a hundred thousand dollars more than the purchase price I've gone it for. But I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, and perhaps that might have affected your ability to qualify for the townhouse that you bought now. So you know, um, I mean, it seems exactly. to have worked out pretty good for you anyway. So exactly. Great. So you saved up a 20% down payment, an impressive mm. feat in Toronto. How did mm. you manage to do that? Yeah, definitely. So I've been working since the age of 18. So I did various jobs, so I'm helping my mom with her business as well. I, and during university, I had three part-time jobs. So I was working as a finance lab assistant. I was also working at the bank as a teller. And on top of that, I was a research assistant. And during the summers, I worked full-time during uh, doing summer internships at the bank as well. Uh, from the income from those jobs, I also invested those into the stock markets. So I invested that into robo-investing platforms, and I also did options trading as well. Um, and on top of that, sir, I also so I also did take a, I did take a personal loan from the bank and invested that money as well. So it's kind of that that of the combination of um, saving most of my income and leveraging leveraging on the loan helped me really helped me to save up for a down payment of 20%. Wow, and uh, I mean, that's amazing that you started working so early on, like at the exactly. age of 18, did you have that idea that you wanted to own a property? I mean, um, like that's, you know, pretty early. Some people maybe don't get their first job till mm -hmm. university, like, or maybe age 20 or 21. Like, did you have that idea planted in your mind from your parents about the importance of home ownership? Yeah, I did. And I've always had, I, like, I've always, I was always big on investing. So I just want to keep investing and kind of grow my portfolio in a sense. So like, I tried to start my financial freedom from an earlier age as well. Oh, that's, quite in, that's quite impressive. Uh, and also want to add that like in 2017, my return on investment was 253% as well. So that's, <laughs> that was another factor that really helped me to save up uh, for a down payment too. Gosh, who, who needs Bitcoin when you can get returns like that? Exactly, right? <laughs> wow. So, so some millennials are choosing to rent instead of buy. They're discouraged mm -hmm. by the high home prices in big cities like mm -hmm. Toronto and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Why shouldn't younger folks give up on the dream of home ownership? And why is real estate still a good long-term investment? Gotcha. So especially in, in referring to Toronto or the greater Toronto area in general, we are seeing such a great investment because in Toronto, we have such a strong job market. And on top of that, we have such a strong immigration as well. So it's just those two factors alone is contributing to the high demand for homes in, within Toronto. And uh, as you know, like there's many news reports about how the new home construction is not keeping up with the demand as well. So that's also what has been pushing the prices upward. So millennials shouldn't give up on the dream of home ownership. They should just look into other ways on how can they enter the market. So maybe instead of trying to find that perfect one bedroom condo in downtown, they could compromise and go find a one bedroom condo just a bit east, west, or just a bit north where the prices are a bit cheaper and there's still good transit op options as well. So maybe, for example, buying one bedroom condo near a gold station uh, in the suburbs might be the best option instead of renting within the city where you're not building equity and most of your income is going towards your rent. I like your thinking and that actually ties in and that's the perfect segue to the next question. So mm -hmm. a lot of millennials in the GTA want to live in a condo in downtown, 
but you chose to live out in Scarborough. What <laughs> factors did you consider when choosing your location? You mentioned one or two in the earlier question, but mm -hmm. feel free to mention some other factors. Definitely. So the main reason why I chose to stay in Scarborough is because it's a close to family, friends. This is where I was born and raised as well. And um, it's not too far, it's not far from downtown. So where I'm living right now, I'm five minutes away from the Gilbert Gold Station, which gets the union in just under 30 minutes as well. So it's like, it's kind of a mixture of a suburban and city life in the sense, it's kind of like the hybrid between the two. So that's why I chose to stay in Scarborough as well, because of the many great natural amenities that has, it has to offer and the great trans transportation options as well. Great, and um, you decided to uh, buy a pre-construction townhouse. Now, why mm -hmm. did you pr choose pre-construction over resale? I mean, myself, I bought a detached bungalow that was built in the 1950s, but you went with mm -hmm. a new property. Um, mm -hmm. So, and also, what are some things to watch out for when buying mm -hmm. pre-construction? Like, I read a story recently in Vaughan where they put in the new subway station and then the... Mm -hmm developer basically canceled the whole project. So yeah. what are some things to watch for when buying pre-construction so that doesn't happen to you? Definitely. So I did see that story as well where the developer decided to cancel the deal because the costs were exceeding, uh, were exceeding the prices that the people paid for the units. So, but when buying pre-construction, you really have to dig deep into the research. So kind of research on the builders. So seeing, seeing their past projects, seeing, uh, uh, how many of those projects have gone completed. And on top of that, you can actually go on the, Terra, the Ontario Terra Warranty website to see if there are any deficiencies in the past projects or if there's any, uh, any unsettled claims as well. On top of that, why I decided to go for pre-construction tunnels is because of the construction duration. So I bought my tunnels back in January 2016 and it was I occupied it in August 2017. So that gave me... Uh, that time span gave me extra time to save additional money for a down payment as well. How I think of it is I moved in in 2017, but I'm paying 2016 prices. So you see, like, by the time you move in, you, you already kind of made a profit profit on the equity gains. So that's one major benefit of the pre-construction uh, townhouse or a pre-construction project in general. And that's interesting that you mentioned that. Now, on the financing side, mm -hmm. um, did you take advantage? Because I, my understanding is that builders have some sort of financing mm -hmm. option because you're kind of buying in advance. Did you take advantage of the like lending option that the builder offered for you? No, I didn't. I, um, I decided to go with a different bank because the lending option that the builder offered is with a certain, was with one of the paid by banks, but I was able to find a better deal at a different bank. Okay, great. And we'll touch on the mortgage application in a couple questions, but that's quite interesting. So you bought your home in Scarborough and mm -hmm. I live in Scarborough Southwest mm -hmm. in, in the Scarborough mm -hmm. area as well. So, uh, you mm -hmm. know, you probably know that Scarborough has gained an unfairly gained a negative reputation over the years. Um, so why is Scarborough a good place to invest in real estate and what mm -hmm. are some of the myths? I, I read a great blog post by yourself, so feel free to let our listener know about some of these myths and why that they're mm -hmm. not necessarily true. Definitely. Like, for example, when I tell people, my coworkers, oh, I'm from Scarborough, the first thing they usually say is, like, oh, my God, that's so far. But they don't really realize that Scarborough is actually is relatively closer to downtown than most suburbs out there. Um, uh, and 
that's one myth as well where like a lot of people think that Scarborough is run down but there's actually it's just like every other part of the city there's like some areas that might be a bit run down but there's many other great areas as well so for example like I, I know this is a bit random but like there's Jane and Finch that's in North York as well but not, not a lot of people would associate Jane and Finch with North York however like in my opinion I think I believe that Scarborough is very underrated it's very close to downtown it has many great national amenities it has over uh, over four coal stations as well and personally, I believe it's a great long-term investment because they're extending the Eglinton Crosstown LRT all the way to UTSC and they're extending the Scarborough subway uh, all the way to Scarborough Town Centre. So that really shows that um, the infra- infrastructure dollars that they're spending now will really benefit Scarborough uh, within five, ten years from now and it will really gentrify the area as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And mm. the great thing about Scarborough is it's uh, probably the most affordable um, mm. area like in the uh, Toronto area to afford real estate. I mean, like mm-hmm. North York is expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, like in Toronto proper, it's expensive as well. So if mm-hmm. you want to get your foot in the door of the real estate market and, you know, you don't want that two hour commute mm-hmm. a day, uh, if you Definitely. want near like perhaps the Eglinton Crosstown or even the GO train, then, you know, exactly. you quickly get downtown and not pay those high super high real estate prices so exactly a good option out there and also want to add that scarborough has a lot of parks and that's what i really love about it. it's like there's like a lot of natural nature within the city as well it's like next to scarborough blocks there's um, many parks within every subdivision so that's another great benefit of scarborough as well hey, you've got the scarborough bluffs thompson park there's so many great options exactly there. exactly Great. So talking about mortgages, the mortgage application process can be a little tedious at times. Mm-hmm. What tips and tricks based on your own personal experience can you offer to ensure it goes smoothly? Yeah, I would say the one tip that everyone should follow when applying for a mortgage for a house is just simply create a file on the computer Within that file, it should include all the necessary mortgage documentation. So, for example, your employment letter, your tax forms, uh, your income, your assets, your liabilities, and etc. So that way, whenever you approach a mortgage broker, all you have to do is just email them that file. Because I made a mistake of like whenever I spoke to a mortgage broker, I will have to recompile those different documents and then send it off to them. So this makes it a lot more efficient if you just kind of compile that file within your computer and just show it to them as well. And on top of that, I would say is don't do too many mortgage applications. Like I believe the rule of thumb is um, don't do more than two or three mortgage applications. It's because for example, if you do a mortgage application at every bank, then that will actually dent your credit score and that will make it harder for you to get approved for a mortgage. And in some cases, you probably will end up paying a higher interest rate because your credit score is lower due to the multiple applications. Those are some great tips, and I'm just curious, uh, Mm -hmm. how did you learn about using the benefits of using a mortgage broker? Because many people just go to their Mm -hmm. local bank branch and and Mm -hmm. accept the mortgage rate. Like, how did Mm -hmm. you kind of get that idea that it's a good idea to shop around through a mortgage broker? Did you learn that from your parents or perhaps from reading articles online? Uh, Yeah, so I learned uh, learned the benefits of mortgage broker from like reading articles online. However, I kind of learned that after the mortgage application. <laughs> so I did I did go to two different banks. Uh, I posed two different banks for the mortgage application, but maybe going forward, it would probably be more beneficial to go through a mortgage broker. So that way you kind of just do one application and you see what the best deal in the marketplace is rather than applying to those different lending institutions and denting your credit score. 
No, that's some great advice. I totally agree on that. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to get caught off guard by closing costs, especially when you're a first time home buyer. I know mm -hmm. I was surprised by a lot of them, especially that darn land transfer tax. You have to pay two right. of them in Toronto. So tell right. us about some of the closing costs to be aware of when buying pre-construction and mm -hmm. were you caught by surprise by any of these closing costs. When I bought my pre-construction house, my real estate agent did not say a word about the closing costs. Um, so I was, I was pretty surprised about it when I learned about it about, uh, about a month or two before closing. And that's when my real estate lawyer brought it up to my attention. So in terms of pre-construction homes, the major difference in terms of closing costs is the development levies. So when you're buying a pre-construction home, so it's a home or a condo, uh, just make sure, uh, I would highly recommend to make sure that there's a cap on the development levies. So in my case, the, the cap on the development levies was $3,500. So that way, it kind of gives you a peace of mind knowing that you won't be paying the uh, extraordinary amount in development levies. Um, however, on top of that, my house was supposed to close in May 2017. However, there's a four-month closing delay. Uh, sorry, there's a three-month closing delay, and it ended up closing in August 2017. So because of that delay, I received a $7,500 credit from the builder and that went straight to my closing costs, which was very beneficial in my case. So at the end of the day, my, my total closing costs came up to $5,000. Great, and I'm just curious, did you know to hold back some money to cover the closing costs or did you have to like perhaps borrow some money from your parents? Were you prepared? Because sometimes people put every single penny towards their deposit and down payment and they don't hold back any money. Yep, definitely. So I was prepared for this. So I just had to take all of my investments. So, but I was prepared for it. Yeah, that's that. That's great. Yeah, so I was lucky. I was lucky. I was prepared for it because like I, I wasn't expecting such a huge amount. As I said before, I it's or like I believe you you did mention this in the book as well that closing costs is the biggest secret in real estate, and that's very true. It's just something that a lot of first time home buyers are not very well aware of. Yeah. So especially if you're buying in Toronto. Just mm -hmm. remember, you have that double land transfer tax, so definitely right. be prepared mm -hmm. for that. So, yeah. But on top of that, Torontonians have the benefit of paying the lowest property tax rates in Ontario. So that kind of makes up for it in the long term. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Our property tax rates are more affordable than Mississauga and other surrounding mm -hmm. suburbs. Exactly. Great. So you rent out a couple spare bedrooms in your house to friends for a total of $1,200 per month. How has your experience been as a landlord? And are there any tips you can offer for aspiring landlords? Because, you know, when you're going for a mortgage, sometimes you can include some of that rental income and it mm -hmm. qualifies. So why don't you share your experience? Because I'm sure our listeners would love to hear about it. Definitely. So my, my experience as a landlord has been great, actually. Um, the rooms I'm renting out are to, um, to, to my close friends. So I, I know them from beforehand. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't like it was, uh, I was renting out to a stranger. However, uh, I, I did also keep in mind that uh, when you were renting out a room to your, or a couple of bedrooms in the house, it really helps out with the mortgage application as well because the lenders, depending on the financial institution, to so take a certain percentage of the rental income and add it on to your income. So that really helps out with the lending application, especially for millennials looking to get into the real estate market. In some cases, it probably be a bit more beneficial to go for a two-bedroom condo and rent out that extra bedroom and kind of use that income to supplement the additional costs or the um, or kind of use that extra income to go towards the mortgage 
And at the same time, they'll be building more equity rather than uh, going with the one-bedroom condo where they want to be building as much equity. And they'll probably have to burden more costs because it, um, the cost will be kind of uh, taken care of by just a single person living in that one-bedroom condo. Certainly, it helps to have a mortgage helper if you want to burn your mortgage sooner as well. Exactly. Great. So I was on LinkedIn and, and I came across an article of you and you're featured in Toronto Life magazine. That's mm -hmm. amazing. I read the article and it was so interesting. So how yeah. did this all come about and how did your family and friends react to the article? Definitely. The article is very well received. Uh, my family and friends, they love the article. Uh, how it came across, I came across this opportunity through someone, so I reached out to Toronto Life to tell them about Beishi Blanc, and the person I was speaking with um, connected me with the person who was in charge of the cost of the series, and she told me that it would be a great fit. Um, it's kind of like share how Toronto Lanes spend the money, uh, or uh, how Toronto Lanes get by every day with the uh, income that they have, or how do they uh, purchase a house, and etc. So that's how I came across about this opportunity. So it was definitely a great opportunity, and I'm thankful for it. What was the one thing that you splurged on? I remember you mentioning something in the article there. Yeah, definitely. It's the one thing that splurged on was uh, Brooks Brothers and dress shoes on uh, town shoes. Yeah, I mean, like I, I say, you know, it's okay to have fun and spend money as long as you budget for it. So Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, as long as you live within the means and have fun, that's the best way. Um, because you don't want to be too strange. You just want to make sure you're able to have you're able to enjoy life to the fullest in a sense, but at the same time, make sure you're well within the budget, make sure you're not taking on any bad debt as well. No, that's great advice. So the last question for you is, what are your top three takeaways for millennials looking to invest in real estate? Yeah, definitely. So my top three takeaways for millennials looking to invest into real estate is uh, one of the first one is expectations. So kind of adjusting expectations. So. When, when you're going for, when you're going home shopping, you really have to understand that you have to make trade-offs. So for example, the most common trade-off is location and space. If you want a condo in downtown, you're going to have to accept the fact that it's probably going to be significantly smaller than a condo within the suburbs or a condo within outskirts of Toronto, such as Scarborough, Etobicoke, or North Dirk. The second uh, takeaway would be budgeting. So you really have to understand your monthly cash flow. So first, uh, for example, the bank will probably approve you for a mortgage of, let's say, $600,000, and that will require a certain monthly payment. But you really have to dig deeper and see if you're able to meet that mortgage payment. Uh, uh, like, are, you able to, are you able to sacrifice certain expenses, or will, you be able to, uh, or will you be able to keep up with those payments as well? And uh, actually, I believe you did mention this in your uh, book as well. Now, if the bank approves you for a mortgage amount, that doesn't mean you have to go up to that amount. Uh, kind of like stay within the means and make sure you're able to afford the lifestyle that you're trying to get into. And last but not least, is be, be forward thinking. So kind of just think, so for example, if you know you're planning to move out of your parents' parents' house within two to three years, maybe now's the time to start looking into pre-construction projects. So that way, in the sense you're paying today's prices, but you're going to be closing on the condo within two to three years. And also, as I mentioned before, when you buy a pre-construction uh, home or pre-construction property, the time duration of the uh, construction really, it really works to the advantage of the homeowner because one, they can save up additional money for the down payment, and two, they really save up on the equity gains that's happening year over year.
Those are some great tips. Thanks so much for sharing them with us. So it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there mm-hmm. anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So at the moment, I'm working on, uh, or I've been running Beishi Blog. It's a banana financial hub that I've been running for two years now. The main reason why I founded this website was to educate uh, personal finance to millennials on the larger scale. So I always had a lot of friends ask me, oh, Jilani, where should I invest my money or where should I buy my first house and etc." So that's why I founded Bay Blonde because I really want to educate millennials on, uh, on the different real estate topics out there, tips and tricks on how to save, uh, the different investment options that are available and etc. So like, I do plan on continuing running Beishi Blog with uh, the various inst- insightful articles on real estate, savings, careers, and etc. So that's something that I've been working on. Awesome. I'm a big fan of your blog. And like Thank I you. said, you have some great articles on investing as well as real estate. So I certainly mm-hmm. uh, encourage the listeners to check it out and I'll include links in the show notes. So Great. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you today. Thank you, Sean. It's definitely been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.